was here. That's one of my favorite songs that we ever do. And Jan would be clapping right now. <laughs> um, Eric, can you mute this mic just so there's not an echo on the video? Thank you very much, sir. You're a wonderful human being. And I'm going to grab my Bible while that goes on and hopefully not knock over anything. And Charlie is going to operate the scripture for me so that I can read from my Bible. Right, buddy? <laughs> You're going to operate the scripture for me, right? Yeah, I got a thumbs up. And I'm going to sit on Heidi's stool, which is shorter than my stool. Is that why you like it? Yeah, makes sense. For me, it's kind of like, all right, do I put my feet down on the ground or do I lift them up? Because it's, it's kind of in that in-between stage of like, it's, it's low enough to where I can put them on the ground, but not quite comfortably like a chair. It's, I, I see why you like it because it's perfect height. So, I'm sorry, we've just focused on, on stools instead of on the scripture. So if you have your Bibles or if you have a bulletin or if you want to look behind me, um, the scripture is going to appear. We're going to be reading one verse that I read last week and we're, we're going to read actually um, through the end of the chapter. Um, so we're going to read verse 6 through verse 16. Um, and I actually got excited last week and read a little further than I meant to. So some of this is going to sound a little familiar because we've already talked about it. Uh, this is from the prophet Amos, chapter 2, verses 16, or 6 through 16. This is what it says. This is what the Lord says. For three sins of Israel, even for four, I will not relent. They sell the innocent for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals. They trample on the heads of the poor as on the dust of the ground and deny justice to the oppressed. Father and son use the same girl and so profane my holy name. They lie down beside every altar on garments taken in pledge. In the house of their God they drink wine taken as fines. Yet I destroyed the Amorites before them, though they were tall as cedars and strong as the oaks. I destroyed their fruit above and their roots below. I brought you up out of Egypt and led you 40 years in the wilderness to give you the land of the Amorites. I also raised up prophets uh, from among your children and Nazarites from among your youths. Is it not true, people of Israel? But you made the Nazarites drink wine and commanded the prophets not to prophesy. Now then, I will crush you as a cart crushes when loaded with grain. Uh, the swift will not escape. The strong, strong will not muster their strength. And the warrior will not save his life. The archer will not stand his ground. The fleet-footed soldier will not get away. And the horseman will not save his life. Even the bravest warriors will flee naked on that day. Now... All of us in the room today that are adults, not kids, adults, are married. And um, that's not true of everybody in the church at all. But this is a concept that quite often is accused of happening with married couples. I know if, you, if you're watching the video and you're not married, or um, if there was somebody in the room that wasn't married, you know this is true of a lot of different people. And it's called selective hearing. And it's this mindset of you hear the things you want to hear. Uh, I, it, it plays out in a lot of different sitcoms where one character seems to just conveniently not listen to their spouse. And I think what's happening here is that um, Israel has some selective hearing that's happening 
with uh, what God says to them. They like part of what he says, and therefore they listen to that and they obey it. They don't like the other part, and it's not that they just disobey it. They just kind of act as though they didn't hear it. Now, three different groups were mentioned in this scripture today. One of them not mentioned by name, but was, was hinted at by uh, something that was described there. And these are the three offices, religious offices, that are mentioned in Scripture. So, Jeremy, I think I can operate it with this, but stay ready just in case, okay? But I think I can operate it. Uh, so, in Scripture, there are three different religious offices, and within those offices, there are a lot of different degrees. Uh, so, they are, you have prophets, and so, like, prophet... There are a lot of different mentions, but here's one. This is from 18, Deuteronomy 18, 18. I will raise up from them a prophet like you from among their fellow Israelites, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he will tell them everything I commanded. The purpose of the prophet is to have God's words put in his or hers, her, hers, hers, his or her, in their mouths. There we go. That works better. Um, their whole point is to basically say, thus saith the Lord. It's to remind the people of Israel, this is what God has told you. It's to remind us today, this is what God has told you. So often prophets are thought of as people who say things that happen in the future. If you read uh, the Old Testament prophets, what you're going to see is, yes, there is some foretelling that takes place. But what it usually is, is God has called you to do this. And if you don't obey this... This is going to happen in the future. But the goal is always for them to realize this is what God told me and to respond to that. So the prophet's purpose is to remind the people of God this is what God has told you. The next office that is mentioned in Scripture is that of a priest. This is one reference, okay? First Chronicles 9, 13 says this. The priests who were heads of families, numbered 1760, uh, they were able men responsible for ministering in the house of God. That was their purpose. The priest's purpose was to minister in the house of God. Now, there are varying degrees. So you have chief priests, then you have other priests. You also have the Levites that I'm going to put into the priestly function because their function was to help people come to the house of God and worship. That's what they did. They did... The music, they did uh, the ritual, they did the sacrifices. Those are important. So the prophet's point was, thus saith the Lord. The priest's function was the ritual of faith. We have those, okay? So last week, I led the Lord's Supper. That's a priestly function. It's important for us to have that ritual when we remember the ritual rightly, and it helps us to have faith. So... That's one of those things. Here's the last kind of office that's mentioned in Scripture. It's the Nazar. So you have the Nazarites. Here's one of the references to that, okay? Number six, two through four says this. Speak to the Israelites and say to them, if a man or woman wants to make a special vow, a vow of dedication to the Lord as a Nazarite, they must abstain from wine and other fermented drink, and they must not drink vinegar made from wine or other fermented drink. They must not drink grape juice or eat grapes or raisins as long as they remain under their Nazarite vow. They must not eat anything that comes from the grapevine, not even the seeds or skins." So the Nazarite is what we're going to kind of talk about briefly today, uh, along with the prophet, but its function was different. The prophet was, thus saith the Lord. The priest was the ritual of faith. The Nazarite was basically a walking act of remembrance. The Nazarite's whole goal 
was when you saw the Nazarite, you would remember. And that's such an important part of the Jewish faith, but it's also an important part of our faith. Okay? I want you to think through some of the things we know that, that uh, ancient Near Eastern Jews did and that modern Jews still do quite often. Okay? So you have acts of remembrance, and what they're trying to remember over and over again is what they would refer to as the Shema, which is, stands for here. It says this, it says, Hear, O Lord, hear, O Israel, the Lord your, our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commands that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. And again, memory here is not an act of I need to have just the head knowledge. Memory is an act of, am I living this out? And so God tells them, remember these things. Remember these things by having them constantly in front of you, by them being a part of your discussion. He did it through a lot of different ways. There are symbols of this. So you have phylacteries uh, where the teflon are, are literally things that you wrap on your arms and your head, and it has the shemine and quite often has other scripture. They are physically doing what God has told them to do. But the whole point of this is not, I've done this, now I'm holy. The whole point of this is I do this so that it will get in my hand and it will get in my head and get in my hands. So I live this out. They do it in other ways too. Uh, Whoops. There. Uh, Many of you have been to my house. Many of you have been to Pam's house. It's the same house. When you've walked in, you may have noticed that we have this right here. It's the Shema. We have it on our door frame. Not because we're Jewish, but because we like the custom. We like that remembrance. We want to remember that the Lord our God is one, and we want to have these commands in our heart and on our door frame. Say, we, every time we walk by on the front door, every time I walk my dog in the afternoon, I'm walking by the Shema. Again, the point is not, oh, I have this on my door frame, therefore I'm holy. The point is, is that this house would live out the commands of God, commands of love and commands of grace, that they would be remembered in that house. Many of you have seen this before. This is a prayer shawl that I have. Uh, God tells them to wear what's called a four-corner garment. That's what's mentioned in Scripture. It's not so much a prayer shawl. Though there is reference in the Old Testament, it was probably a prayer shawl, but you, excuse me, New Testament. It's probably a prayer shawl. When Jesus talks about praying in your closet, it probably refers to people wrapping themselves with their prayer shawls. Think about it. Think of the houses you know uh, from the ancient Near East. A closet was a luxury, even in uh, modern, uh, not relatively modern. So 150 years ago, houses didn't have closets. Uh, So uh, it's probably a reference to them wrapping themselves in a four-cornered garment or a prayer shawl. But they had the zitzis on the end of them, which are supposed to remind them of the Torah. It's constantly a matter of remembering. And the Nazars were doing this also. The Nazarites, their purpose was to be a walking act of remembrance. To give you an idea how effective this is, some of you were here the last time I talked about Nazarites. A long time ago. You may not remember that I talked about Nazarites, but you will probably remember the act if, I, if you were there. And I know Eric was there. Last time I talked about Nazarites and their vows, Jesse Bennett was up here with me. Okay, and do you remember? So think of the response you just had. And Adam, you just, you're smiling now. So you were here too. He had such thick hair, man. He had such thick hair 
and I still feel guilty about it because I didn't realize how thick it was, and I'm just going. <laughs> so Jesse Bennett, a former member of the church who is now there in Green Bay. Closer to Mequon? Mequon. Okay, all right. So, former members that moved away, really thick hair. I shaved his hair while I was talking about Nazarites. And think, to give you an idea how good or active remembrance this is, you both responded immediately the second I said it. You may not have remembered the point of it, but you remembered the act of it. Nazarites were walking acts of remembrance. And they did it through these things, okay? They did. They would not touch the fruit of the vine. That's a big deal back then. That's a big, huge deal. One, because water was not always pure. But two, it was such a cultural part. Here it would be the equivalent of, of not, I don't eat cheese because I'm lactose intolerant. I don't eat cheese because it is a vow towards God. And all of the Wisconsinites would be like, what type of God would do that? So it's a big deal. They didn't touch anything of the fruit of the vine. They also did not touch the dead. I, I used the same picture that time because I just love it. I want to live somewhere where they deliver your body on a bike made to carry caskets. That's just awesome. I don't know where that is. I'm going to guess New Orleans. It just seems like a New Orleans <laughs> thing to, to me because I can see people partying behind it for some reason. Um, but they didn't touch the dead. That's a big deal. I'm not touching the dead because of a vow towards God. And the other thing that dealt with why I was cutting Jesse's hair was they did not cut their hair. Now, this could vary. This could be for a week. This could be for a month. It could be for a year. It could be for seven years. Uh, there's one example of, of someone who, who made a vow for seven years and um, accidentally ended up drinking uh, some, some product made from grapes uh, before the seven years was over. And she... Uh, did not feel like she had uh, satisfied her vow, even though it was accidentally. So she restarted the whole thing. And notice I'm saying she there. Your priest had to be male. Your prophets were generally male. There are a few examples of female prophets, but generally male. Nazarites could be any, okay? Anybody. Anybody could be this reminder. And they were supposed to remind people of what it means to follow God. Now, here's the reason I, I'm bringing this up in this scripture. These were the, the three roles. And if you notice, two of those roles in the scripture we just spoke about uh, are specifically not so much denied. Their roles are not denied, but they're told not to do it, and they're caused to trip up. So in the, the portion of Amos we just read, uh, he tells them that they caused the prophets not to speak. The prophet's whole point, is there a kid outside? Somebody, I think somebody late is coming in. Otherwise, there's just a random kid at the door. That's concerning. Okay, um, I see an adult now. Okay, I feel better. Sorry, it, worries, it freaked me out a little because I was like, oh my gosh, no, we've got a random kid that's just wandering around. So, hey, Brian, hey, Elizabeth. I was worried there was just a random kid out there. <laughs> so, the prophets are told not to speak. The whole role of the prophet is to remind people, this is what God says. And the people of Israel are saying, we don't want you to do that. Don't remind us of what God said. Now, in the New Testament, it talks about preachers that will tickle people's ears. And, and I believe part of what's happening there is 
preachers that are supposed to have a prophetic role. The role of the preacher so often is supposed to be, this is what God says. And quite often what happens is a church or a group of people will say, eh, we don't really want you to say that. What you, we want you to say instead is what makes us happy. Now they wouldn't say it like that, but they would fire the preacher for ticking them off a little bit. It's okay if you pick on other people and you point out their sins, but never point out my sin. In a middle-class church, never talk about the fact that we, could, we should be constantly struggling with what Jesus means by it is more easy for a camel to make it through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to make it into heaven. That should be something that we constantly struggle with, to go, God, what does it mean for us to be faithful to you when we are in the wealthiest nation in the world and we are in the top tier of that? Does it mean that we have to give everything up? Uh, he asked one individual to do that. He did not ask every individual to do that. But it does mean we need to struggle with, God, what does that mean for us to be faithful to do that? But it's tempting to go into a middle-class church and to talk about other things than thus what, what the Lord has said to His people. The other thing that they did was they caused the Nazarites to stumble. If you notice in the passage right here, they exclude the priest, and there's hints that they're still allowing the priest to do their priestly role. It says that they lay in front of altars on robes taken in pledge, and that they, they drink wine that was paid in fine. These were probably acts that involved a priest, not so much the, the sin act at that point as it was the, the taking of the pledge or the, the taking of the fines, probably involved priests. The Israelites seemed to be okay with do the religious ritual but do not remind us of what that ritual is supposed to enforce in our lives. See, our rituals are very important when, when we focus on what they are supposed to put into our lives. When we focus on just the ritual, they're not important at all. In fact, sometimes they may be harmful at, at worst, maybe at best, they just make us feel good and make us feel emotional, but they actually don't lead us to God. Our rituals are supposed to be shaping in us what it means to be faithful. Now, many of us have used a map at one time in our life or not. So, Charlie, you just did some Boy Scout stuff. Have y'all done any? Uh, I'm sorry, you just did a, uh, you are arrow of light. So you just did some arrow light stuff, which is a part of the Boy Scouts of America. Uh, have you used maps for any of this recently? Okay, but you, have you ever used a map before? Okay, you think so. All right, well, this may be new to you, okay? So often we treat maps as maps are here to tell us how to get from point A to point B, but that is not actually a map's purpose. A map's purpose is to help us understand reality. Because there are a lot of different maps in this world. I'll give you an example. This one hurts me. There are maps that tell you about what's more important to people. This one really hurts me. Because if you look, it seems that there are more cat lovers than dog lovers in our world. Now, I would like to point out, at one time in my life, I had a cat and did not have a dog. But that was because of the stage we were at in life. I wanted a dog, but we could only have a cat because of the apartment we were in and our stage in schooling and such. And I loved that cat. Why did I love that cat? Because he was one of the closest cats I've ever been to, to being a dog. He would fetch. He would let me play what we referred to as cat soccer with him. 
where he would lay down on the linoleum floor and I would push him with my foot and he would slide across the kitchen floor and then wait for me to walk back over there and push him again. He, he did. No, 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 push. I did not kick. It was, a, it was a shove. He did cat gymnastics where I would take the cat and throw the cat onto our bed from 10 feet away and Pam and I would both swear that the cat, when it landed, would go... It was a wonderful cat, but this makes me upset. What does this tell us? Janie, what does this map tell us about the United States of America? Maybe, at least a lot more of the area of the country. I'm going to choose, even though I know the vast majority of, of the uh, citizens of the United States of America live right here and over there, percentage-wise, I'm going to assume that more people live right here, and therefore dog lovers win. But apparently, we live in a cat state. That should really upset you. Okay, should really upset you. Eric, you own a cat. You don't own a dog. Thanks for reminding me of my dog. You're a part of the... You're, you're, oh, wow. You're a part of the problem. Be a part of the solution, okay? Um, guys... Yeah, we do have two cats and one dog. <laughs> I, I should correct that. Guys, you may have maps. You actually have mental maps that are how you see the world. I'm going to show you one that Pam and I just used, okay? So I think most of you in the room know this. On the video, you probably don't. But uh, this past August, Pam and I decided to do what we called the bunny walk. Uh, and we mapped out our neighborhood. And we marked, did, you know, did I not tell you about this? Okay, so we had a map, and we would go around, and this is the path we would take right here. And if you see, that's where we have the houses named. And we would mark every location there was a bunny. And it shapes the way we see our neighborhood still. Banny, uh, a bunny was run over on the side of the road, and Pam saw it, and she's like, and it crushes me because it was probably one of our bunnies because it's on our path. We have houses that when I walk by them now, I know that if I look over here, I'm probably going to see a bunny. To give you an example, this house right here, MBGA, was named before we ever started the competition because we knew it was going to be a contender. This stands for Making Bunnies Great Again. You want to know who won? Making Bunnies Great Again won. Okay. Deer feeder, right there, came in second. Guys, it shapes the way we see our neighborhood. I don't need a map to walk around my neighborhood. I know how to get there. You have probably driven places. You may have driven here today where you didn't need a map and you were all the way here before you realized what you were doing because you were on autopilot. Because we have these mental maps of the world that help us to shape how we respond to it. You're still finding the bunny map funny? Are you looking at the names? I just found out one of the, I just saw one of the names. Which one? Oh, P-Rock? That's because that's where all the dogs pee. <laughs> Here, here's my personal favorite. This is the place of the glove. There's been a glove that's been sitting on a rock for two years now, and we've been watching <laughs> to see if it would ever move, and we just now refer to it as the place of the glove. Guys, this is distracting, so I'm going to swap. Helen 
Our cat has a mental map of our house that shapes how she sees it. This is really important because if you don't know this, Helen, um, who I refer to as Hellion because she's a pain in the, in the rear, um, is, is blind and deaf. That ha- that's what happens when you get a, a blind, a, a deaf cat, excuse me, and then you name her Helen after Helen Keller and the cat needs to go, well, I'm going to live up to that name. But the weird thing about it is Helen knows where everything is. She doesn't need somebody to guide her through the house. She instinctively knows where to go and when to go there. She walks down to, uh, to where her bowl is downstairs when it's time to eat. And every evening she knows that I'm going to be coming upstairs and being a cat, she really enjoys bothering me. So she waits until I get up to bed to then decide that I need to spend time with her. This was my view of reading last night. Helen can't see. She can't hear. But she has this mental map of the world to where she knows where everything is and how everything's going to be happening. Our faith, our ritual, is supposed to put into our lives this mental map of the way the world is when it's lived out in God's grace and God's love. And the purpose of the prophet was to tell the people of Israel, this is what God's world looks like. And what does God's world look like? God's world looks like a world where the captive is set free, but also where people are not making selfish choices. To come back to the paradigm that is so often used in our world, you have people that are concerned about justice and you have people that are concerned about personal piety. And God is saying, in my world, both of those are a concern. You are neither gluttons nor the people who abuse those who have less than. And the mental map of God's word is shaped by the prophet saying, thus saith the word of the Lord, but the people of Israel did not want to hear that. And then rituals, which are interpreted through thus saith the word of the Lord, where they're doing the sacrifice, but they remember the sacrifice is because we are people who fall and sin and we need God's forgiveness. And then as people who receive that forgiveness, we share it with others. We are people who receive from God and we need to live in gratitude. So therefore, we give thank offerings to say, even though I farmed and I uh, harvested this, the growth, came from God and I am dependent upon Him. And that is a part of the map that is shaped through the ritual that is understood through the prophet. And then the Nazarites were there to constantly be reminding us, is your map of God's world right? And the people of Israel were okay with the ritual, but they didn't want the reminder of what it was supposed to point to, nor the person saying this is what it's supposed to point to. So often in our faith, our maps are wrong. We take a map and we say, this is what God's world looks like. And it's not what God's world looks like. It's what Robert's world looks like, where I want it to be like this, where I want it to be focused on me. And that's why scripture can say to the pure, all things are pure, because the purpose of a map is not for you to get from point A to point B by looking at it, but for you to begin to understand the world so well that you don't have to look at the map anymore because you suddenly understand it. The purpose of the ritual is not for us to have to do the ritual all the more, but for God's map of his world world to be so invaded in our life that we begin to do the things of God without having to ask, is this what God would want? 
It becomes natural. It becomes holy, not because we searched and we struggled to figure out the right way. Instead, it becomes holy because we're like, we're so in tune with God. now. Now we understand He wants us to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with Him. See, that's the beauty of the maps we have. And if you think right now, you can probably think of some mental maps you already have where you see the world this way because of this framework that's been put on it. And our faith and our preaching and our reminders are supposed to help us to have that map and to live out in that map. The people of Israel, well, they had prophets, but they didn't want to listen to them. They had priests, and they were okay with the priests doing their rituals as long as they didn't have to live out what the rituals meant. And they had Nazarites that were walking around with them. Walking around with them, where their kids probably would have said, Mom, why is that guy's hair like that? Mom, why couldn't she participate in the cleaning of her father's body when he died? Mom, why can't she cut her hair? These reminders were walking around with them. And the people of Israel tried to make them fall because they didn't want the reminder. So so what's your hearing like? Are you just hearing from God what it is you want to hear? Or are you hearing the full gospel? The full gospel, which is full of grace but a grace that calls us to extend grace to others to where we see what He sees, which is people who who are loved by Him. A grace that causes us to live out personal piety. So we're not living out of our selfishness and our greed. We're not living out of our, our own desire to consume, our own gluttony. A grace that causes us to act in justice towards others. See, The other part of to the pure, all things are pure, is to the impure, nothing is pure. And you may know people who have shaped their mental maps to the point that they see everything in a way that is selfish and gluttonous and destructive. The way of God is the opposite of that. The way of God is His grace living in such a way that it affects our piety and causes us to live out in justice. So before I close, does anybody have anything to add? Oh, yeah. He's the easiest one to remember. Samuel, I would say, is actually the main example. But yeah, Samson, if you read the story of Samson, um, it, It's interesting because the whole story is he is a Nazarite and his story is of breaking each of those vows. So the beginning of the story, he reaches into a dead creature to grab honeycomb, if you remember. And I mean, why why would anybody want to eat honey that comes out of a dead creature? I don't know, Uh, but he does. And then if you remember, he is uh, later told in the story as being drunk and around drunkards. And then if you remember his ultimate downfall 
is that he finally says, if my hair is cut. So it's literally in the story, it is he was supposed to be a Nazarite and he's doing these great acts and he's focused on I'm big and strong and mighty rather than focused on these vows are supposed to remind me of who God is and how I'm supposed to live in this world as a person who says that God is Lord. Um, And he slowly but surely breaks each of those vows. Yes. No, it, it continued. So Paul makes reference. He may have, uh, so Nazarite vow is a little different in the sense of you could have Nazarites for life and then you could have Nazarites for uh, set time periods. Uh, so Samuel would, would, would have been a Nazarite for life. Samson was supposed to be a Nazarite for, for life. Paul probably made a Nazaretic vow in the sense of there's a reference that he talks about of cutting hair. And part of the final offering of the Nazarite would be the hair itself. It is holy unto the Lord. So you would go and there's a whole series of offerings that are done at the end of the Nazarite vow. Lots of offerings. And part of that offering is the hair itself. And Paul talks about he had made a vow and he's going to get his hair cut. As a result, that was probably a Nazaretic vow that was continuing. It's a little different um, think of it kind of like fasting to some extent. Somebody may say, I'm going to fast for a while. Unfortunately, quite often we use fasting as kind of a pragmatic thing of, I want to hear God's voice, therefore I will fast. Rather than fasting is supposed to shape us into the people who can hear God's voice, we use it like, oh, if I do this formula, then suddenly I get the answer I want. And I think God quite often goes, hey, this formula is working really well to get you to draw near to me. I'm not going to answer you then because I want you to draw near to me. That's more important than the answer. Um, so Nazaretic vows were, were like short term. So you're, you're not going to fast for all of your life. Otherwise, I mean, I guess you could fast for all, your, all of your life. We call that a hunger strike. Um, but Nazarite vows, you might do it for a month. Of I need to be a reminder and I need the people of Israel to be reminded. You might do it for a year, seven years, a lifetime. Does that answer that? Okay. Anybody else? Then here's what I want you to remember. I hope you are hearing from prophetic voices in your life that remind you, this is what God said. And when God says it, it's going to change your life into more of His joy, not happiness, joy. Joy is about purpose and meaning. Sometimes you're happy with that, sometimes you're not. If you're, if you're struggling with understanding that, I want you to think about a moment in your life that was incredibly painful and difficult that you're very thankful for now. You didn't enjoy the pain, but you were like, this is so meaningful to me. I would suspect ladies' birth is probably an example for you. Uh, for that, I have never given birth. Uh, I've just been in the room, so I can't speak to that. But what I saw was pain that is transformed by the birth of the child, and now it becomes a meaningful experience. Joy is different than happiness. Uh, God, when He says, this is, uh, thus saith the Lord, it leads to joy and life and meaning. I am the way, the life, and the truth. What things in your life are rituals that help you to kind of implant that map of His joy and life and truth in your life and help you to see your world that way? And what reminders do you need of that? I have a wedding ring that reminds me of a vow I made. Reminds others too. And it it keeps me focused. I have other things that I keep. I keep a pocket knife with me at all times that it's legal uh, because it's a reminder for me. Yes, I use it also, but it's a reminder for me. What reminders do you need 
to live out a map that actually shows reality. Because when we live off maps that don't show reality, you go the wrong direction. If you want to question that, try and find a map of Stevens Point from 30 years ago and follow it. There's a really good chance it's going to lead you down some paths you don't want to go. A correct map reflects reality. And a map that really reflects God's world is going to speak of justice, it's going to speak of mercy, and it's going to speak of humbly walking with Him. Would you join with me in our closing prayer? Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. I hope your map reflects God's mercy and His justice and His humbleness. If it doesn't, if it causes you to lead, go down the path of, of jealousy, causes you to go down the path of, of sinfulness and selfishness, now's a great time to change it. Put some reminders around you to help you focus on it. Hear His voice say this is what it is and do rituals that help you to remember it. Have a great week, okay? Thanks for joining us on video.